be reading from 1 Timothy 4, 6 or 16. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourselves in them, so that all will see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Pray with me. Father, we know that through everything you had done through Timothy, that there was so much difficulty there. Uh, you gave him so many great gifts, and likewise, you've given us so many great gifts. Uh, to toil and strive is never an easy task, yet you are with us fully in everything that we do, allowing us to do so and do so joyfully. Uh, we pray that we continue to seek after you in a strong manner, not to just read and understand this, this good scripture, uh, scripture that you've given us, but for us to do so with everything we have and all abundance and knowing that you are going to be with us is the only reward we ever need. Lord, please be with us. Uh, please allow us to hear these words and not them, let them be just empty words, but with your love and with your grace, we see them as they truly are. We love you. Just name. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you. Well, all right, we're in uh, 1 Timothy 4 again today. As you, uh, if you're new or you haven't been in a while, um, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We are uh, in our second week of about a five-week series on what it looks like to be a, a maturing Christian. Um, so uh, we think mature happens in heaven. So what does it mean to kind of be on this path of maturity? And so we're second week now into uh, marks of maturity as our uh, gathering uh, time commences. And so um, as we get into this, last what we talked about was this first part of 1 Timothy 4, uh, where we're talking about owning your faith, owning the path of growth is really your responsibility. Um, whether that be for your kids or for yourself or whomever, it is really for you. And so we want to help with that as a church, but we can't own that for you as a church. So last week we talked about you owning your faith. We talked about that right out of uh, this passage right here, where it says, train yourself for godliness, right there in verse 7 of 1 Timothy 4. So that's a review, but as we enter into today, uh, maybe you're aware or you're familiar with some church trends, church growth trends in America. Anybody in here heard of the nuns? Not like, not like the Catholic nuns, like the N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. Anybody heard of the nuns? Three of us, perfect. The nuns are the fastest growing religious group in America. I want you to hear that. 
Those are the people that grew up in some faith tradition, and now as they've grown up and become adults, they no longer associate themselves with any faith tradition, particularly any Christian faith tradition. So they've, they've shunned off the traditional faith. They no longer identify themselves as traditional Christians or traditional Muslims or traditional Jews or whatever it may be, and they now have called themselves nuns. It's not that they're atheists. It's not that they're agnostics. They just simply do not uh, relate to any of the traditional labels. So they're nuns. N-O-N-E-S. So you may have, now you know what the nuns are. Have you heard of the duns? The D-O-N-E-S. This is an actual category of religious people, if you didn't know that. The duns are those that were Christians. Those that grew up in the church, matured in the church, taught perhaps Sunday school in the church, and finally after decades, perhaps, of faithful attendance, they've given up. They go no longer. And so they're done. They, they, the routine of week in and week out of plop, pray, and pay just wore its way all the way through their soul. And so we find ourselves in this interesting uh, intersection in American Christianity, where we've got people that are just totally abandoning traditional Christianity, and there are those that are, they really love Jesus, but they can't stand the weekly routine, and so they just quit coming to church. They do something else. They, they might get their encouragement throughout the week on a podcast or whatever, but the gathering of the saints is something now that they have neglected and shunned off of their normal rhythms. And so I would say this, if you have anything... Um, if you would just kind of put your ear towards this, not just towards the nuns or the duns, but let me ask you this question. Why do you come to a Sunday gathering? Why do you come to this place on Sunday morning? Or, or if you're part of this church, it's a beautiful thing. We're glad you're part of this church. Why do you go to any Sunday gathering anywhere? And then let me drill down a little bit. Why do you come to this church? Why are you a part of this gathering, this beautiful community of people. When you attend on Sundays, or perhaps you attend in your neighborhood groups, a question, are you bored? Are you, are you, are you bored with your faith of attendance and then absence? Or, or are you growing? And if you're growing, why or why not? And I would say this, if you're bored or you're stagnant in the faith, um, that, if that's where you are in the faith, most likely you found yourself participating, not participating, and instead spectating, while other people use their gifts, while other people exercise their faith, you have decided to sit back for whatever reason. Maybe it's you're still getting comfortable with this place, maybe it's convenience, maybe it's fear, maybe it's you fill in the blank. But I would say this, if you have never participated or you have been slow to participate in the family of believers, whether it's here or somewhere else, I would almost guarantee two things. Number one, you will never feel connected to the mission of this place or any other place. You will always be the person that goes, I just didn't really connect there. Because you've never really gotten your hands dirty. You will never feel connected. And the other thing that will happen is you will not grow. See, God created you for far more than to simply plop, pray, and pay, or worse yet, just plop and pretend to be interested. You know what I'm talking about when I say plop? You sit here, 
you pray and you pay on the way out. That's bad, but what's worse is that you plop and pretend to be interested. And when, when, I, when I say pretend to be interested, it means after time, you, know, you, you, just, you shun off the responsibility of participation. So why would I, I say why pretend to be interested? Because here's a cultural reality. If this is just a, a rote cultural exercise of attending a Sunday gathering where you come in, spectate, and you don't ever get your hands or your heart dirty and damaged for the sake of the gospel, taking root in yourself deeper, but also taking root in others, perhaps for the first time, I would just say that you are, you're Christianing wrong. You're following Jesus the wrong way. I'm convinced that the rise of the Duns goes hand in hand with how the church leaders have led the bride of Christ. So I'm going to take the, the hit on this one. Though well-meaning, we have shepherded the church into comfort and entertainment. We have not shepherded the sheep into, the, into development and maturity. We have not taken seriously the charge for, for shepherds to make ready Jesus' bride for her wedding day. We've gotten it off. We've certainly had mission drift. And as a result, the church in America has become too dependent upon feelings of security, redefining success in terms of butts and bucks or nickels and noses. And we have not become a people that are known to be risky, dependent, and faithful in a relationship with a dangerous Messiah. You guys know he was dangerous, right? Like constantly putting his life on the line for the sake of the gospel being heard for the first time. That's us. should be us as we follow Jesus in all of life. We follow a dangerous Messiah. Not a safe one. A good one, but not a safe one. Will we be a risky, dependent, and faithful people? So how do we recover from this, these trends? How do we prevent from being a done, or worse yet, a nun? Or perhaps even more difficult, how do we move from being shepherded and shepherding others into comfort and instead, reshaping our focus as being people that are shepherded into maturity. How do we do that? Last week, I talked about owning your faith. This week, I would say this, that it's really about all of us from moving from, becoming, from being spectators to participants as we practice using our gifts. Last week was about owning your faith as you own your faith, as you take responsibility of that which is yours, your godliness. Now what's next? The text tells us. He then focuses in for Timothy. Don't neglect the gift that you were given. Oh, there's this great temptation for neglect. But before we get into that, but as we dig back into 1 Timothy 4, when we talk about gifts, particularly spiritual gifts, it gets confusing. It, it, it can get a little controversial. And I want to try and just clarify a few things above the controversy so that we can have a good baseline of understanding as we go forward. First thing is this, God has uniquely, I want you to hear the word, uniquely created you. God has uniquely created and wired you. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. For you, O God, have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So in your mother's womb, God is writing your story. And Ephesians 1 would say, before the foundations of the world, He knew you as, your, as His kid. That's a long time ago. I don't know when it was. Whether you're a millions person or a thousands person, that was a while back before we were here. 
that he had you in mind, creating you unique. Now, there's a, this, is, this is important, y'all, because we're going to get to the end of our sermon, and I'll probably re- repeat this phrase somewhere. If he also created you uniquely, he then put you here, this place, at this time, with this people, for a specific purpose. Now, that'll, that'll pressurize you if you go, oh, I've got to find that one purpose. Or it will release you into freedom to go, I don't know what it is, but I can't wait to figure it out. I hope that you land in the ladder. He's, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. Can you praise God for the story he's writing in your heart? Wonderful, wonderful are your works. His sovereign authorship over who you are has also given birth to your specific spiritual gifts. These gifts were meant to be used not just for yourself, but to help others mature. And now I'm just going to lay out for you like three passages because you need to see it multiple times in the Bible. Because some of us believe that if it only says it one time, then it must not count. But it does. Let's see it three times. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each, that's each of us, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He's talking about spiritual gifts in that context. We, we fast forward in the book of 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, talking about the gifts, strive to excel in building up the church. It's for other people. It's for the common good. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. He gave the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. My job is to equip you for the work of ministry. It's not to do the ministry. It's not to organize the ministry. It's for you to do the works of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So you got to see those things. Now it's with that background that we kind of enter into Paul's charge to Timothy regarding the gifts. Go with me to verse 14. We're going to skip a little bit because there's a purpose. Verse 14, what does Paul say to Timothy? Do not neglect the gift that you have. Do not neglect the gift that you have. Neglect is always a temptation for us. Paul's first warns Timothy to not neglect his gift because Timothy was most likely young. We know that. Right before it, he says this in verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example, speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. He's a young guy. He probably doesn't have an official position in the church, and yet he's called to appoint elders and nominate deacons for the better off of systems of care in the church of Ephesus. I would imagine if you don't have a position, I would imagine if you were young, and Paul left you in a, in a city that was a little bit foreign to you. And he says, all right, dude, it's up to you. Put it together. I would imagine you would go, uh, I'm good. Like, I appreciate it, Paul. Really uh, appreciate the trust that you have in me. But I'm going to pass. Have you ever had this call on your life? I know I had this call in my life when we were called to, to plant this church. If you don't know, that's one of the reasons why my son's name is Moses. I had this moment with God where he was like, I want you to plant this church. And I was like, that is for suckers. I am not doing that. I appreciate it. Not happening. I don't want to go. Well, too bad. It's time for you to go. I am not equipped. How many years of seminary do you need? I have a baby on the way. I knew that was going to be the one that got him. I'll take care of that too. And here's what kind of hit me later on. Is that when I was kind of arguing or wrestling with God, what I really thought was that I couldn't do it a specific way. 
couldn't do church, couldn't do pastoring a specific way. And so I was comparing my gifts to everything that I knew before. And what I just sensed the Lord telling me over time was, I don't want you to do it that way. I want you to do it a different way. And now it's up to you to discover what that is. See, I wanted to neglect the gift that was in me. I would imagine Timothy felt the same way, a young guy not having those positions and just going, dude, I, mm, I'd rather just bury my head in the sand. No thanks. Do not neglect the gift that you have. To neglect is to fail to nourish something. To not take care of it. Um, I look at this in a lot of different ways. I have so many different examples, but I'm going to boil it down to one or two. One is like our, our kids. Them being a gift from God. We need to be reminded of that. Those first, like that first year of life. I hear the baby in the background and the dad's going, yeah, man, I need to be reminded. Yeah, I feel you, dog. So look, we got to be reminded that there's these gifts because they're, they're, they're just sucking us dry in so many different ways. And yet, if we're not careful to cultivate them to see their growth over time, what will happen when they're teenagers? If we will not correct our eight-year-old daughter, what will she be like when she's 16? We cannot neglect that gift because otherwise the fruit will end up being pretty terrible later. Same thing will happen with our spiritual gift. If we neglect it now, sometime later, the fruit will not be what we want it to be. See, the problem with neglect is that we often don't know we've done it until we see a result that we don't want. And so we have to kind of always look back and go, okay, I've, I've neglected that. Now I've got to get back on focusing in on X, Y, or Z. I want you to hear this today. Current neglect will yield the fruit of future regret. Now that's good preacher talk right there. I don't care who you are. Okay? Current neglect will yield the fruit of future regret. Are you guys getting that? Okay. All right. I heard one amen. Nate's here. We got you. I'm waiting for Carol anytime. Current neglect, here's your chance. Will yield the future, will yield the fruit of future regret. There she is. Why? Why is this the case? Because our gifts, our kids, the fruit of maturity comes much later, but it cannot happen without current attentive cultivation. So I think about it this way. This is like if it's not kids, some of us don't have kids, we all have teeth. Right? If we neglect our teeth, okay, like at some point, we're going to realize it. We're going to have cavities. At some point, your, your teeth will start to, to rot out of your head. Just hang with me, y'all. You're all right. It's okay. It's okay. Come on in. So I'm not talking to y'all. I'm talking to y'all. Like, come on into the story that I'm telling, okay? Like, if you have teeth, which I think you do, if you neglect them, they'll eventually rot same thing like with your feet. you got to take care of your teeth and your feet. If your grandmama didn't tell you that, y'all missed out. Your teeth, you better take care of them. Here's what's going to happen. You will start to notice that something's gone wrong. Your spouse will start to notice that something is off. They'll start to remind you of a few things. And pretty soon, your kids are going to pick up on the habit of you not brushing your teeth. Of you not taking care of a gift that God gave you. That we can neglect because it's just our teeth. Like it's just there. I don't know about y'all, but like once or twice a week, I had that little voice in the back of my head that says, you don't need to brush your teeth tonight. You're fine. Just go on to bed. Everybody's asleep. It's all good. Am I the only one that has this temptation, this voice in the back of my head? No. Okay, good. Thank you. The men are like, I got that man once a week, four times a week. 
We can neglect it, but the problem is that later on it's going to yield a fruit that we do not desire. Neglect is a sneaky disease that we are all tempted with. Here's what happens when we neglect our gifts. We believe that the giver of the gift didn't know us or didn't have us in mind. We believe that the giver of the gift didn't know us or didn't have us in mind. We also believe that the gift isn't useful for my life. If I neglect my teeth, I'm kind of saying, you know what, this isn't useful. If God knows us, it must be useful. We also would say that the gift is for personal use alone, that my teeth are just mine and not for others' maturity. See, my kids, I, I, right now, like we're at the point where Moses turned four yesterday, and so like, we're at the point where we're kind of done brushing his teeth. We have a habit of doing it for him, and at some point, we just kind of let him figure out how to brush his teeth on his own until when they're eight and ten, and we all go to the dentist together, and they all check their teeth. They go, you're clean. You're good. I'm like, we didn't neglect it this year. Woo! Well, you learn, though, when you neglect some things. Because in the past, we've neglected. We've had cavities. And it's expensive. It's a fruit that comes later when we neglect something in our current reality. But not only is neglect a constant temptation, but perhaps some of us need to be reminded that God has handcrafted your gift. He has handcrafted your gift. Don't get lost in how Timothy's gift got to him. Verse 14 again. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy. So don't get lost in the reality that like, I didn't get a gift that was given to me by prophecy, and so I must not have a gift that I need to cultivate, and so therefore I'm, I'm released from this command that Paul's giving to Timothy. No, you're not. Because what he's really saying is, this was given to you by God, Timothy. You can't neglect it because it was God-given, handcrafted just for this time and this place. For such a time as this, Timothy. God's given to you, given to you this beautiful gift. It is from God Himself. And it's not just for Timothy, it's all of us. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these gifts, all this is empowered by one and the same Spirit. Now look, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Don't think you don't have the gift of hospitality. Don't think you don't have the gift of teaching. The Spirit has given it to you, apportioned it to you individually as He wills, as He wants. This is, this is life-changing when we start talking about our, our shape, our, our personality, our gifts, when we realize the Spirit has been in control of the whole thing. And He gives us freely. He apportions to us freely according to how He wants us to have it. I don't know about you, but when I realize that God has handcrafted my gifts, I can't, I can't neglect them anymore. I can't gripe anymore. Because I can't think like, oh, I wish I was just less picky about things. Although I do. I do think that for harmony's sake, for like people around me, for people to like me more, I go, I just wish I wasn't so picky. Like there are times, there's a reason why I don't show up here and help set up anymore. Because I would get here and go, why is that here? Tell me, why is this off? Who's got this? Tell me about this. And everybody's like, dude, we got it. Get out of here. Got it? Thank you. 
I wish there were times where God didn't design me that way, but when I step back and I remind myself of the Scripture and I go, man, I'm that way for a reason, for a God-given purpose. Will I harness that for His purposes or for mine? And when I realize that it is handcrafted, it becomes much more special. Like, have you ever been given something from, like, say, Hobby Lobby or wherever, Bed Bath & Beyond, whatever it is, a quilt or a sign, and then, like, that's beautiful and that's very thoughtful, and then someone hands you, like, something very similar, but they handmade it? Which one do you treasure more? The handmade one, naturally. You, you, you treasure more, it may not be... As, as, as beautifully aligned, it may not be as symmetrical, it may not be as polished, but man, like, they made it for me. I'm putting that one on the wall, and I'll put this one somewhere else. I mean, I appreciate both, but this one was hand, handmade. How much more than the same hands that formed the universe and hold it together with His power has handcrafted your gifts? Shall we not then appreciate them all the more? Shall we not then unbelievably be grateful and not be people that gripe about how we are made? Or perhaps we need to be reminded that when we're handcrafted these gifts that we can't covet someone else's. And go, I wish I was made that way. Like I don't really know what I have to give to the kingdom because I don't really ever get handed a microphone. That would, be, that would be bad theology because I'll tell you this right now, this doesn't happen in our neighborhood groups. That doesn't happen. People going to Hope on the Brazos yesterday and helping out a bunch of people, that doesn't happen with a, without a multitude of gifts, of administration, of hospitality, of service, of helps, of giving, of leadership. All those types of things start to get put into play when we reach out in any way, both here and outside of these walls. So if gifts are as He wills, may I implore you to surrender to His wisdom. May I invite you to surrender to His purposes for our lives as we lay hold of those gifts and steward our purposes. So I stand before you today as the planter and pastor of this church, but I'll tell you, it's, it's not been like a dream of mine. Matter of fact, when I was in seminary, I was in preaching class, my second preaching class. And I was just struggling through understanding a text. And I just couldn't get it. And I was reading all the commentaries and living in a library. And I was like, dude, I, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this. I don't, maybe God's just not called me to do this. And I went and talked to my professor. My professor's name was Dr. Aubrey Malfers. If you don't know who Dr. Malfers is, that's fine. Google him and you'll realize he's like a big deal. I didn't realize what a big deal he was when I went and saw him because he's my professor. I'm like, yeah, he's just a professor. Later on, I realized, oh, he's like the deal on like church administration and church planting and all these other things. So I go talk to him. I was like, hey, man, I just don't think I'm supposed to do this. And he's like, well, do you want to be like a person that like teaches God's word? And I was like, ah, maybe behind the scenes, maybe one to one, one to three. That's kind of my, my jam. I don't know about this, but like before people. And he's like, okay, that's great. Well, this, you know, you still need to preach, so you can't get out of this. Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of evaluate you. So in preaching class in seminary, if you don't know this, you get, uh, you get blinded by a ton of lights. They, they video camera you, uh, and they, you preach to a class that's also preaching. You get a specific amount of time, and you're not allowed to have notes, at least not in the seminary I went to. So you're not allowed to have notes. You've got to preach from memory. And so it just, the nerves build up, right? And so I preach that day, and I get done. And, so, and then you get to listen to critique. Yeah, we got trained in that too. Uh, listening to critique. And so you listen to critique, 
And so at the end of the critique, Dr. Malfers looks at me and he, he looks at the rest of the class publicly and he says this, if you don't use this gift, you will be in disobedience to God. Okay, all right. I could have sworn that we just had a conversation in your office like three days earlier that said, I'm not supposed to do this, but now you're telling me the opposite. And now you're telling me like, you put God on me? What was he doing? What was he doing? He knew. Because here's the real, like, it changed my life. For someone to speak into that, to realize what I didn't see in myself, it changed my life. And here's the deal. It also changed yours. If, if someone didn't encourage me, just, just, just blow into existence this flame that needed to be just growing in me, we would, none of this would have happened. See, he knew that it was from God. But he also knew that my gifts aren't given to me so that I can rest in my comfort, or nor are they given to me for me. They were given... And God's gifts are best shared with others. They were given for the benefit of other people. If you look at verse 15, do not neglect the gift that you have, verse 14, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. You keep going. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. See, it was a council of elders that laid their hands on Timothy of this prophecy that was given to him, most likely cultivated by his grandmother, first given to him by his grandmother in the home, and now all of a sudden he's growing in the faith. He's now appointed to lead this church in Ephesus. And Paul's going, man, this isn't just for you, but remember there's a community around you that matters if you would practice these things. Immerse yourself in these things. See, if Dr. Malfers had not done that for me, and therefore many of you doing that for other people, of seeing, man, I got like, like, there's a gift of hospitality in you. Do you know that's there? No, I just like having people over. Like, it's there. You should, you should maybe use that for the benefit of the building up of the church. So you and I cannot find our gifts without first attempting to use those gifts and fail in front of others. So last week, I thought, like, I don't know if you saw what was going on last week, but I got off the stage, and then I knew I didn't have to get on the stage, and I just ripped my mic off, and I was just like, terrible, awful sermon. Like, all of y'all came up, like three or four of you came up to me like, hey, man, I just love you, bro. Give me, your, give me a hug. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing, but it was a Holy Spirit thing. I was discouraged. I was like, get I just all this that prepares me to say all of that off of me. And I looked at my wife, and I go, bumble, fumble, fart, and fall. How you doing this Sunday? And she's just like, what are you talking about? I was like, that was awful. She's like, no, like your best ones that you think are off are, are the ones that you think are awful, and the ones that you think are the jam are awful. <laughs> See, I need the community around me. You need the community around you. And you cannot be encouraged in this unless you attempt something. You will always lay dormant. See, public progress can only be seen when you and I practice. We've got to practice some things privately. We've also got to practice publicly. See, many people think that it is prideful to practice your spirituality before others. 
I don't know about you, but I grew up in a tradition where it was like, don't pray in front of people, don't give in front of people, don't do anything in front of people. Jesus said, you go find your closet if you want to pray. Well, I mean, yes, he did. But he was also warning you in comparison to the Pharisees who walked into the temple with flowing robes as if to say, I am the righteous one here. You shall follow me. You think your prayers are awesome? God only hears mine. So just be quiet. And instead, Jesus is forming us and inviting us to not practice our righteousness before people. How we get good before God, you are not to practice that before people. As if to say, like, I'm awesome and you're not. But the Bible says we should practice our spirituality, our progression, our spiritual gifts in front of others. See, he is pressing hard against this idea that anyone's spiritual maturity is private. And instead, we are all connected and we must all see how each other grows. Great examples of this. Chris Madigan. Is he in here? Like, there he is. Brother leads our, our worship team, our band, like on, our, on a pretty regular basis. Three, four years ago, I don't know if that was going to be the case. Bo was leading in so many different ways. that Chris has stepped in and grown in so many different ways underneath Bo's leadership to help him kind of figure out some things. And then he's blossomed right before your eyes. If you haven't seen that, open up. You look at Josue, who I knew him probably six, seven years ago, and now he's pastor, brother, elder, like standing like shoulder to shoulder, helping shepherd, helping lead, helping preach. Did you see him uh, preach three years ago on our first Sunday here, August, say, 5th of 2015? It was like an hour long with 14 scripture references. He was trying to go after me. And now he comes and he goes about about 35 minutes, about a palatable amount. And he knows that you can only take about two or three turns into the scripture. He's grown right before your eyes. Sorry, bro. (laughs) It's this beautiful thing that we can see in front of each other, but only as we practice. Take the risk. Try something new. Fail forward. In the presence of your family who love you. What a great idea. But we can only do this if we're humble enough to do this. One more scripture reference. I'm going to pull Josue. One more scripture reference. Romans 12 says this. For by the grace given to me, it's verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. He's talking about gifts. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. There you see it again. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We belong to one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace. Oh, it's been graciously given to us. So then, let us use them. We have to have sober minds. Sober judgment married with public practice means that we take the risk in humility to fail forward publicly. And in humility, we realize that it's humility that fuels the attempt of the use of our gifts even when we're insecure. Especially when we're insecure. 
If you wait until you're ready, you will never practice this. In humility, we realize that it's humility that fuels us to fail forward in front of others. It is humility that fuels the desire to hear and receive feedback. That's the beauty about these guys, Chris and Josue and many others. They're just, they're humble enough to sit down with me and whoever, whomever else and go, so what I do wrong? How can I learn? How can I grow? What do you think about this? Uh, yeah, man, I was thinking about that too. I, I don't know why I said that. It's humility that would fuel that. It would, it's humility, humility that fuels the follow through to try again, to not get beat down by constructive feedback. It's humility that fuels the public practice for God's glory and not for recognition or a position. That's what we see when we look around at not just Chris and Josue, but Cassie and even my wife who's blossomed over the last few years as just a Christian. Some, some people label her as pastor's wife. She's a, she's a believer, follower, teacher, parent. We see these things in all of us as we, we just look around and see how we've practiced these things more and more in humility. As we leave this place, as we get ready for communion here in a few minutes, let me close with this. If this is your place, if you're a partner here at the Grove, or maybe, maybe, maybe you're not a partner, you've been here for a while, you've been attending for like ever, and you haven't like just put a ring on it by this point, maybe it's time to commit. That's one thing. Maybe it's time to commit. And then after you commit, and this is your place, it is time. It is time to understand that we lack maturity in the very thing that you are gifted in. See, if you're gifted in something and you're not using it and you're just holding it to yourself, the sovereign authorship of all of us together would mean that our maturity is at stake. All of us together as we use our gifts to build up the body. And so if we are not practicing our gifts, we all will remain immature in the very area of your gifting, in my gifting. What would this place be if I withheld my gifts on a Sunday morning? Quieter? Yes. What would it look like? What would it look like if Chris withheld his gifts? What would it look like if, if, if John Evans withheld his gifts? We wouldn't have a drummer. Because Osway's doing other things. He, he, he's not the drummer anymore. He's got other things to do. What would it look like if Matt Peterson withheld his gifts? He was the first guy to run audiovisual. The things that you don't know go wrong until they go wrong. What would it look like if, if Angela neglected her gift and didn't come early and set up communion for you guys? The body and the blood of Christ. And I'm not just talking about Sunday morning gatherings. What would your neighborhood look like? Just, just like dream with me. What would your neighborhood look like if you use your gift of hospitality? What would your neighborhood look like if you use your gifts of leadership? And your family around you goes, dude, don't serve on the HOA. What a waste of time that will be. Oh, I know, but, but what if they need it? But what, if they, what if they need it? Amen. We have one amen. She lives in my neighborhood. I know. Well, apparently this is question and answer time of the sermon. 
What, 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 what happens is, is that we all of a sudden start to get super stingy, right? When we, when we don't have the time or the margin. And so maybe God is calling you to produce the time and margin so that you can use the thing that God has called you to actually use for the betterment of the kingdom and the building up of the church. Not just here, but Monday through Saturday. So if you don't know what the gifts are, it's time to read them. If I, you hear me talking about spiritual gifts, and you're like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. Read Romans 12. Jot it down. Read 1 Corinthians 12. Read Ephesians 4. Read 1 Peter 4. It's all over the New Testament. If you still don't know what your gifts are, perhaps it's time to get assessed. We talk about this all the time. If you just look at the app that we've created, in the coming up tab, you can scroll down. There's a little fire thing down there. It says spiritual gift assessment. Boop! All of a sudden, I'm going to get assessed. Once you get assessed, perhaps you need to talk to your neighborhood group leader or your uh, serve team leader, the people that kind of put together Sunday mornings. Talk to them and follow the trail until you can start practicing your gifts in front of others. And then be humble enough to receive feedback, to ask for feedback, to ask for help. How do I do this? What do I do here? What would this place look like? What would our neighborhoods, our communities look like if we would exercise these things? Let's pray. Father, we love You. We're grateful. We're so grateful that You've given us. You've authored our stories. You've authored who we are. You've sovereignly given us our gifts. Sovereignly written our stories in our mother's wombs and before the foundation of the world, You were calling us Your kids, pulling us out of the darkness, creating in us new beautiful hearts to worship, honor, love, cherish, and obey You. Lord, help us. We, we, need to, we need to remind ourselves that we sometimes don't believe You. So just as we sang earlier that God is good all the time, and Lord, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Let that be the cry of our hearts this morning. And if any of us who come to church and we wonder what church is all about and then all you've heard is like a get to work sermon let's just be freed up from we're not telling you to get to work without first realizing that God has done all the work on our behalf and out of response of all of his perfect work on the cross may we then say thank you with our lives by giving over and surrendering of everything we are every minute we have in the week to our king say you're worth it we give it to you what would you have us do? So we surrender and we continue to tell ourselves and sing to one another that you're good. Help us. We love you. Grateful. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.